I want you to look uh, immediately with me at uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And uh, a portion of it uh, is uh, one of the better known passages in the, in the New Testament, especially among Paul's letters, and uh, read and spoken often and is powerful in, its, uh, in not only how it's written, but the way that we read it. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2, uh, the Scripture with me this morning. The first verse says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Verse 2 says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourselves as better than thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. The Apostle Paul said this: you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had where it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him, elevated him to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Those last few verses, verses 6 through 11, were a, a hymn of the early church. Of the, of the first church in the generation after Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We're not 100% sure whether or not Paul wrote that, that hymn or whether or not he was quoting somebody else. It's not exactly important to know that difference, but we, we know why he put it there and that it's such a powerful, powerful word. It's, it's, it's been praised for its poetic beauty. It's been praised for its theological content of how it it speaks to who Jesus really is and sums that up in just a few words. And when you read it, I almost feel like we maybe need to read, read those verses again, and I want you to read them with me, okay? You read them out loud. We'll start at verse 6. Here we go. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God's people said, there is something about the powerful, powerful, beautiful word that is written here. It's so strong. And when we read that, we want to, there, there should be something in us that wants to elevate our voice probably should have stood to our feet without being told to and proclaim this word and, and then without being asked to say, yes, amen. Praise God. This is who we serve. This is who we know. It's powerful, powerful, beautiful stuff. But as I've said to you many times, we always understand Scripture best by looking at other Scripture. And we always need to understand the context in which we're looking at a certain passage of Scripture. Context is simply what's come before and what's after. When was it written? Why was it written? Who was it written to? Those simple kinds of things. If you look at the context of this great passage of Scripture, it's pretty clear to see that there was some kind of struggle going on for the heart of the Philippian church. Something was stirring there that had the potential. Maybe it was even beginning to happen. Something that would bring trouble, bring division, bring distraction, bring disunity and hurt and pain into the life of that church. Pastor, are you you drawing attention to that because you think there's something big going on here? that we should know about well yes and no there's really no specific issue or or struggle that that I see right now that is to the level where it's tearing this part of the body of Christ apart so in one sense my answer to that question is no but the answer is yes in that There is always an enemy who wants to go at the underbelly of the church, who knows human nature, and knows that without the presence and the active power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, that we are very susceptible to division, to selfishness, and that stuff leads to The trouble and trouble without the Holy Spirit leads to destruction. Now this is clearly the context of Philippians chapter 2. This great hymn of the early church is set in this letter not to just pop in a poetry line or two. It is put here in connection with what Paul's talking about to these people that he knows and loves. These people that Paul is writing to from a prison cell. Writing to from a prison cell for his his willingness to speak out for the name of Jesus and the cause of Christ. He's writing to this church to call them to unity. And if you read the whole letter, he's calling them also to know joy. Deep joy, contentment in Christ. It, It may be that the struggle that he's talking about, it may center around some specific people. There, there is, a, there is this, this word, uh, this line in, near the beginning of chapter 4 where it says, I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, 
settle your disagreement. Two specific people that evidently have some kind of struggle. Maybe they were leaders in the church. Maybe they were starting to split other people apart. And maybe they were talking here and there. And this stuff was going on. And Paul says, please. And see what he says next. Because you belong to the Lord, settle this disagreement. Don't let it begin to stir things up. I don't know if that's the major thing that he's talking about, but that's evident there. Nevertheless, he's definitely talking about relationships within the body of Christ, relationships within the church, Christians one to another. That is why Paul wrote this passage, because there was some kind of division and struggle either brewing or going on. And with that in mind, the Apostle Paul speaks to this issue and calls the church to the cross. And as we think about being called as a group, as a body, to the cross today, I've got a series of questions for you and for me, for us, that, that I want to put out there to us. They go right along with what the Apostle Paul was asking this congregation. He starts out there and he says, Have you found any encouragement? You might circle that word, any. I mean, any amount. Have you found any encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and compassion in Christ's church? And so I would put that question to you today. Have you found any, any amount of encouragement or comfort or fellowship or compassion in Christ's church? Look at verse 1, what, how he talks about it. Is there any encouragement? If, if we were to kind of paraphrase it, you could, you could maybe say this. Is there any encouragement at all? I mean, just a sliver, maybe, from belonging to Christ. Is there any comfort at all? Is there any amount? And you know these questions are rhetorical. Paul could be saying, since there is encouragement from belonging to Christ, since there is comfort in his love. If there's any fellowship at all, if there's anything you hold in common together at all. And then he just asks directly, what about even if it's in you or your hearts? Tender, have you found any compassion or tenderness, not in somebody else, but in you and yourself? Any at all? Is there a lot or just a little? None? Maybe somebody here today would say, well, I, just, I don't feel a whole lot of that from the church. I don't know if I could find any. Well, then Paul says, well, what about in yourself? He's basically saying, I know you have. I know you've found this. And isn't that the best stuff? Isn't this the good stuff? And do you want more of it? Do you want more encouragement and comfort and fellowship and, and compassion? Do you want more of that? Don't you want to build on that? Which just leads to more questions. This one. Are you active? Are you active in helping the church reach the wholehearted goal of love and unity? Reaching a goal of wholehearted, full-hearted love and unity. Are you active 
in helping the church reach that. Look at verse 2. Look at how he says. He says, if, if so, then make, my, make me truly happy. Other translations say, make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Pastor, are you, are you referring, when you're talking about the church, are you referring to, like, to this church or, like, the, you know, the church? Because we know there's a lot of other people that would be a part of the church than just those of us here this morning or those of us that gather at this place, fellowship with this group of people. Do you mean this church or the church? And you know what the answer to that is. The answer is Yes. I mean both. This, um, this week I was doing some yard work, which uh, in the last several years is highly unusual for me. I was doing yard work at, at my daughter's house, which is just that I, as I was doing it, I was thinking, you know, I would not do this at my house. <laughs> I would pay somebody to do what I'm doing. And so when I was in the middle of it, it kind of dawned, why aren't you paying somebody to do it here? <laughs> but instead, I went out and bought equipment that I, that I no longer use or have in the neighborhood that I live in. I don't need it. So, so I go out and, and buy equipment uh, to leave it, to use, and then to, to leave at her house. I was, I was out there because I was really motivated. You know, one of the, one of the I'm not much into, into horticulture. Um, and uh, Julie and I kill most plants that are at our house or given to us. But I love the, when the crepe myrtles bloom here in the spring. Don't you, don't you like that? And, and all the different colors, the white, the pink, the purple, the, the, the red. And, and, and my daughter Janae at her house, she has one small one and one pretty large one in her front yard. And they have not, they have not been cut back. And you know those have got to be cut back to, to bloom properly or also got to be cut back or they just turn into monsters. You're going to get out of control. So, you know, I really felt motivated to, to, uh, to try to help with that. So uh, she, was, she was gone and, and, and uh, away from the house, and so I thought I'll go over there and I'll do this. And so I go buy a couple of pairs of clippers. I bought the ones with the long handle with the, the short and kind of the hook to clip the fairly thick branches. And then I, I bought some like hedge trimmers, which those turned out to be kind of useless. And, uh, and I'm out there working away, and, and I got the small one done, and I'm about halfway through with the big one. And I'm sure I'm safety standards. I'm sure I was not up to where I should be. I'm on a little step ladder and got the whole thing. And no safety. I was wearing sunglasses. I don't know if those qualify for safety glasses. And uh, I, I'm doing all of this, and, and this neighbor sees me. One of her neighbors sees me, and he comes over, and he's carrying, he's carrying this, uh, this uh, gas-powered chainsaw, but, a, but a, not, a, not a big chainsaw like with logs, but a small one that's, that's long, and the blade or the chain's about this long. It's meant to reach on that. So he, he brought that over and said, I thought you could use some help. And then he just laid it down. It's like, and I just kind of looked at it. And, uh, 
And he goes, oh, I'll start it for you. I oh, appreciate it. <laughs> and he started it, and I was hoping he would just hold on to it and go to work, but he handed it to me. Like, and then he left. He just left, just walked off and said, I hope this helps. So uh, anyway, I finally got it cut, sort of. It certainly doesn't look professional. Pastor, is there any point at all to, to that story? When I was uh, d trying to dispose of the limbs and trying to, to clean up, you know, the, 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 things, the, the limbs that I was cutting off of these crepe myrtles were, I mean, the thickest would have been about that big around, not as, probably less than the diameter of a quarter. That would be, and many of them were much, much smaller. But as I was trying to dispose of those and, and, and get rid of them and break them up and put them in a trash can or trash bags, it, it, just, it just hit me again that the more of those that I put together, no matter how small they were, I could break a few at a time, but the more I put together, I couldn't break them. And we're talking even the skinniest of those twigs. And it just hit me again. Isn't there a scripture, something about that? There is a proverb that says, Three strands of cord are not easily broken. And when you put a, f a couple of little twigs together, you can break them up pretty easy. But when you put several together, it's really, really tough. Even those, those hedge trimmers, I thought, well, I can just get a bundle together and I can clip and just cut those all in half. Wouldn't do it. And it just kind of made that scripture come alive to me. The more we come together, the greater the strength we have. Reminds me of a, of a scene from one of my favorite movies. That scene in Remember the Titans where uh, Denzel Washington is playing coach Herman Boone, the, the football coach who's given the challenge of trying to integrate a team in early 1970s Virginia. And he takes the team out to a, out to a, a college campus out uh, in the hills in the countryside. And there's that scene where he pulls them all together uh, uh, super early in the morning and forces them to go out and run several miles. And, and they're, they're doing it, and it's really tough, and they're all out of breath, and they finally get to a stopping place where he stops. And as they're catching their breath, you remember this scene? He's looking around, and he says, Do you know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg, the, where 50,000 men died right here on this field. He said, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. He said, this green field right here, painted red, bubbling with blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen, take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed, just like they were. And he said, I don't care if you like each other right now, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. I wish Denzel was here to speak it this morning. You'd be on your feet. 
the Apostle Paul moves on to say and to show what it takes to bring about the unity and strength that he's looking for, that the church needs. It's found in verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, this is how you get to this, this unity of purpose and single-mindedness and loving together. It's, it goes this way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Let me ask us this question today. Where do you struggle to do this? Where do you struggle to look out for the interests of others over your own? This translation, that, uh, it, it may confuse us a little bit. Think of others better than yourselves? You, you mean literally think that they're a better person than I am? Think No, it's talking about just putting the order of interest this way. You think of others first. Where do you struggle to do this? Because we all have struggles in this area, don't we? Rivalry, conceit, selfish ambition. I'm right, you're wrong, and I'll prove it. My way, no way. All of those things are great, great enemies of the church of Jesus Christ. They're also big enemies of our families, of our friendships, working relationships. Just about any relationship you can think of as well. That's what we avoid. We avoid those things. But instead, the Word of God is telling us that we pursue humility, which promotes the good of others, even if it costs me something. Even at our own expense, our own personal expense, we would look out for the interests of others. And it should start right inside the body of Christ. You may uh, be familiar with the, the story of, that was put into the movie Schindler's List of Oskar Schindler in, in Germany who during the, the Nazi reign and during wartime was instrumental in saving the lives of, of thousands of Jews. And that was portrayed powerfully on, on screen. During that same period of history, there was a, another man in, a di in another part of the world named Chiyune Sugihara. And Chiyune uh, dreamed of becoming Japan's ambassador to Russia. And in the 1930s, he was appointed as the ambassador to Lithuania. And so he felt like he was just one step closer to his goal, to his dream of being an ambassador to the, the great nation of Russia. And one morning, uh, a huge crowd of people gathered outside his home in Lithuania. And he learned that they were Jews who had fled the Nazis in Poland. And they were seeking Mr. Sugihara's help for Japanese visas that would permit them 
to escape the, the wrath of the German Gestapo. And so three different times, Mr. Sugihara wired Tokyo for permission to provide the visas for these folks. But all three times he was rejected. Chiyune Sugihara was a committed Christian. And he knew that the choice that he was then faced with was the choice between his dream of becoming the ambassador to Russia or helping these poor people. And he made the choice to disobey orders. And for almost the next month, he hand-wrote visas for people day and night, barely sleeping or eating. And when they were, when they were called to, to leave that country, he was still passing out visas and shoving them through the train window in the hands of these refugees so that they could go to a place of safety. His work there saved 6,000 lives. When the war was over and he was back in Japan, he was no longer a government official. He was no longer an ambassador. He was no longer on his way up to achieve any kind of great status. Instead, he spent the rest of his life selling light bulbs. And when his story finally came out after he was dead and his, his story was finally told, somebody asked his son, how did your father feel about that choice that he made? And his son said, my father's life was fulfilled because when God needed him to do the right thing, he was available and willing to do it. I'd never heard that story before this week, and it, it's a powerful story to me. It's a very, very good example. But in this letter that many of us have looked at many times, the Apostle Paul moves us to look at the one who is always the one to follow, always the one to imitate, which leads us to this question. When it comes to living out what we've already talked about, if you found any encouragement or comfort or compassion anywhere in the church, if you understand that what we're supposed to be about is the unity of the body of Christ, and if, you, if, you've, if you've looked there and you've seen that in order to do that, you've got to look out for others' interests before your own and take on the humility. If that's what you see, then is the example of Jesus, is this not enough? Do you need something else? Do you need some kind of special program, some kind of special slogan, some kind of special emphasis, some sort of sign-up sheet, some sort of badgering from the pastor or from other people? Or, or do, is the example of Jesus not clear enough? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to grasp and hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. And he took the humble position of a slave, a servant, and was born a human being. And when he came in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, even to death on a cross. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, think like this. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. Your thinking should be like this. He did not exploit his advantage. His privilege. He emptied himself. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, in, in one of his best hymns, And Can It Be, says, He emptied himself of all but love. Except for love, he emptied himself of everything. And he had everything. He gave up his rights, which runs counter to something that is ingrained in us. Not that I don't appreciate the freedoms and rights that we have in this, in this free land, but within the body of Christ, following Jesus' example, we don't demand our rights. We give them up. He identified with us. And he identified with the lowest of the low by being obedient to, to a sacrificial death on a cross. And you see, in that world, in that day, only the lowest classes in the Roman world were executed on a cross. Extremely rare circumstances would any Roman citizen ever be killed in that way. It was just for the lowest criminals. He went from the highest position to the lowest because of his selfless love. Those verses 6, 7, and 8 say, here's your example. This is how you should live. And then, beginning in verse 9, we see God's response to Jesus' obedience. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place of honor, gave him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. God's response to Jesus' obedience, he lifted him up, exalted him, and he gave him the name, gave him the title of Lord. Kurios in Greek gave him the title of Lord that he is over all. And then he said, there's more to come. One day, one day, everybody. You're talking about the, the church? You're talking about all the Christians? Or like, or, no, one day, everybody. Everybody. Who do you mean? I mean everybody. Everybody before us, everybody now, everybody after us will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Apostle Paul is saying, pursue obedience to Jesus and, and then just leave everything to him. Well, what... If I, if I give up my right, if, if I back down off this issue and if, and if, I, 
if I submit to what somebody else is saying, even though I know I'm right, if I back off and I let somebody else, and if, and if, I, if I have this idea, but somehow somebody else is getting credit for it, and if, if, if I'm, doing, I'm serving here and nobody's acknowledging that, nobody's giving, and if, if I'm... You just pursue obedience and leave all the exalting and all the lifting up and all the blessing to Jesus. And I promise you, in His timing, it'll come. Paul was clearly saying in this letter, in response to struggle in the church, we are called to imitate Jesus Christ and to live it out in our own context, our own situations. C.S. Lewis, the, the great converted atheist and Christian uh, writer and scholar, and, and, and especially had you know, that incredible imagination and wrote all the stuff that has become prominent over the decades for children and families and, and other people, all the, the stuff, the Chronicles of Narnia and all of those types of things. He said that it really actually helps for people to pretend to be Jesus. It really actually helps Christians if, if you'll pretend to be Jesus. Just like a role play, like children say, you be this and I'll be that. You be Superman, I'll be Batman. It really helps us to say, all right, in this instance, I'll, I'll be Jesus. And then discover how that role play could become reality in your own life. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, when you're discussing, when you're discussing a, or dealing with an issue that could really become divisive, it'd be really helpful to pretend to be Christ in that situation. To move it beyond a, a, just the cliche of WWJD, but I say in this moment, I, I'm going to see if I can say, I'm going to see if I can think and act as Jesus would. This passage in Scripture is here to remind the church, to remind Christians that we are called to the cross. We are called to the cross, not just individually to get saved, which thank God for the blood of Christ that can wash away our sins. But we're called to the cross, not just for that, and not just as individuals, but we're called as the body of Christ, as the church, we're called to the cross in how we live our daily lives and how we go about being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. In the, in the hundreds of ways, and there literally are hundreds of ways for every single person in this room, there are hundreds of ways that you affect the lives of other people every week. 
every single one of us, our actions, our words, how we live our lives, we have an effect on hundreds of people every week as life moves from one person to another. In the hundreds of ways that that happens, we are called to have the attitude of Jesus, who though he was God, said, I'm here for you. Lord, we love you today. We uh, are thankful for the beautiful words that we find in the book of Philippians. Lord, what an amazing, amazing word that you spoke through your servant Paul, and a man whose life you radically transformed. He was your enemy and then became your servant. Many of us, Lord, know, know what it means when we, when we think about who we were before you transformed our lives. And we're so grateful for your grace and your forgiveness and how you can move in us. And Lord, we read these words that, that he wrote from that prison cell inspired by your Holy Spirit and, and how he wrote to people and was talking to them about their relationships with one another and the witness and call of the church to, to reflect you. And Lord, I pray that we would hear that clearly today. God, how can we ever, ever think that acting in a selfish or vindictive or demanding way is reflecting who you are? Help us to be rid of that, Lord. Help us instead to, to move closer and closer to, to your heart. To be like you. Help us to, to see that, that the, whole, the whole church, the whole body of Christ is called to the cross. called to lift you up and be like you and that's what will change the church to be better and change the world to, to know you thank you Lord for your goodness